Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by one of our favorite products, Almond Cow. We've been using it for well over a year, and I say we, mostly my husband, Mark, who is mooing. Honey, what are your thoughts about Almond Cow? (laughs) This is the moo man. He's back. (laughs) I love the Almond Cow because we know how great it is. Anything that you can make a plant-based milk with, you're set. I don't need to make that much. It's just sitting in the pantry. And then when we're ready, I just make it. It takes a minute. It tastes so good. It tastes so good. And for those of you who are thinking about it, let me tell you why. There are no added preservatives, any kind of artificial stuff. You put in it what you want. You can sweeten it to your taste. It is so easy to make, so easy to clean up. And it's pure gold. It really is. And they give you a lot of recipes on the Almond Cow website. You have the recipe, so you don't have to think, you don't have to go anywhere to find it. It's there for you. Yes, we love it so much. So if you're interested in getting your own, go check out the link or just go to their site, almondcal.co, and you can use code LARA, L-A-R-A, for extra savings. Go get yourself one and have fun. I'm Laura Hyman, and welcome to Redefining Movement, a lit podcast designed to investigate all aspects of movement from my background in physical therapy and neuroscience. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter movement patterns and compassion for ourselves and others. So together we can live our most uplifted lives, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have a lovely friend, Katie Goss. Katie and I have a lot in common. She is also from the medical world originally and forged a path into becoming an entrepreneur and running her own business. She has a background as a critical care nurse, and her own love for movement and her frustrations as a patient led her to overcome limitations of chronic pain and hypermobility. So she talks about her journey, learning how she was hypermobile but not knowing it for many years, dealing with the pelvic prolapse, and then eventually getting the diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. She's now turned that into her wealth of knowledge about hypermobility and helping others. Join us in this conversation. It's not just about hypermobility. It's about forging your own path when you're in the health care field and then choosing something different because of your passion, about helping people, building strength through weight training to help whether you do have hypermobility or chronic pain. So enjoy my conversation with Katie. Welcome, Katie. So great to meet you. Thank you. First of all, I always love talking to other health professionals, which I'm sure you do as well, especially ones that have carved their own path. You're not doing the traditional nursing. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into nursing, how you wanted to be into health in the first place, 
and then how you eventually changed directions to where you are now. So I came from a family of medical professionals. My mom was a nurse. My aunt was a nurse. My grandma was a nurse. Just a big medical family. It was very typical to have discussions about cool cases or patients or like, you won't believe this thing that I saw at family dinners and stuff like that. So really grew up with it and just always had a lot of interest in the human body, in health and wellness. Then that kind of drove me into having an interest in fitness and I loved nursing school. I loved learning all of the in-depth anatomy and physiology and the pharmacology. And as a new grad nurse, I loved it. It was very challenging. It requires a lot of critical thinking. I worked on a very high acuity floor in the hospital and it was just constant learning. I really loved it for a few years. And then I started to get really frustrated and burned out. We were treating diseases that were largely a result of lifestyle choices. And we didn't have the time as a nurse in the hospital. We were supposed to do a lot of the education, but they're always cutting budgets and taking away help. And so you have so many things to try to get across to the patient that there was just no way to provide them with education and the tools that they needed to actually be successful at making any long-term significant changes once they left and went home. So we would see a lot of the same people that would come back. It would be another heart attack. It would be their heart failure is worse again or their diabetes is out of control now. They were just getting shuffled around from medical provider to medical provider. Your primary care doctor will teach you about this. Your nutritionist will teach you about this. And they just weren't ever getting the help that they needed. And then there was a lot of restrictions in place from insurance companies. Just seeing how much the medical system really is a business. It's a for-profit It's a sick care business. It needs you to be sick to make money. Yeah, we're treating it after the fact. And there's just no importance really placed on preventative medicine and being proactive against these things that are wiping everyone out, heart disease and cancer and diabetes and things like that. So I had gotten pretty burned out with it. And then I had my first baby and maternity leave was up. The nursing director was calling, asking when I was coming back. And I was like, I don't think I can do that right now. Every nurse on my unit who had returned after having a baby lost their milk supply because although legally we're supposed to be given time to pump, in reality, when your patient is sick, you're not leaving the bedside to go pump. And so no one was able to maintain breastfeeding for very long. And that was really important to me. I was in a situation where financially I was able to stay home. So I did that for a few years. And after I had... My son, I definitely had signs and symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction, but I didn't know what it was at the time. And it was a lot of being told that's normal after you have a baby and it'll get better. Just give it time. And I was at a point where I was kind of walking the same couple blocks around my house because I couldn't be farther away from a bathroom than that because I just couldn't hold it. And then I had my second son. Everything got much worse in terms of the symptoms. I still got told that things were fine. I was pretty sure that I had prolapse, but when I would go get examined, they weren't using the right type of speculum. And so they would look and say, everything looks fine. And it wasn't until I saw a pelvic floor physical therapist and the neurogynecologist that I was actually diagnosed with very significant uterine prolapse. My small intestine had prolapsed. What does that feel like? Does it literally feel like something's moving down into the pelvic canal? It felt like a lot of pressure, like for anyone who's gotten to the end of pregnancy, where the head drops down, you just feel like you have a bowling ball in your pelvis. It's just very uncomfortable, a lot of pressure. 
just feeling like your insides are falling out, like just feeling a bulge at the opening that never used to be there and feeling it in standing and like squatting in different positions. And then, of course, being a nurse, I need to see what's happening and like took a mirror and looked and it wasn't until I got more aggressive with saying, no, this isn't normal. Can you check me standing up, which is not something that they used to routinely do even when checking for prolapse. And when you lay down on the exam table and you put your legs up, gravity helps everything come back into place. And so when they look, if they're not using the right type of speculum, not having you sit up, not having you bear down, then it looks like everything's fine. And so as a result, I was questioning my sanity for a while. I think this is a really good point for people. That's how you're functionally operating in life a lot of the times with gravity against you. And for all the significant stuff, picking up your kid, taking a walk, You don't want to feel like every time you do that, something's going to come out, whether it's urine or literally organs coming, descending. So what did you do to start to correct that? I really did not want to have surgery. I'm definitely more holistic in my healthcare and stuff. I did almost two years of pelvic PT, and some of that was before I did end up having surgery and some of it was after. But I did a solid year of pelvic PT before I had surgery. I waited until I was finished breastfeeding because sometimes you can still have changes in your tissue elasticity. So sometimes you can see improvements in prolapse when you wean, but I didn't want to wean because of that. So I just tried to be very patient, which is difficult when you don't feel like yourself in your own body. It has an impact on your self-esteem and your sexuality and your relationship. And it really is a challenging thing, I think, for women who do navigate that. And at that time, you know, almost 10 years ago, it just wasn't spoken about as much as it is now, which I think is great. I definitely see more people having that conversation. I think it was Katie Bowman. I found her stuff and started getting very interested in biomechanics and alignment and breathing and understanding that there were a lot more things that I could do and work on before feeling like surgery was the right option for me. And I got into Pilates. I trained as a Pilates instructor. And I really felt like I did all of the things. And there was a little bit of improvement, but it wasn't enough. And so I did end up having a six-hour reconstructive surgery. And I kept having this question of like, why did this happen to me? Because there are certain risk factors, like if you have a forceps delivery or a traumatic birth or certain things that can predispose you to prolapse. And I did not have any of those. My labors were pretty easy, fast. There were no interventions. So I kept asking, why did this happen? And I got very generic answers of, well, everyone's just has something. Some people have a bad knee, some people have prolapse. And the way my brain works, that's not enough for me. And so I kept reading research and actually went and saw your gynecologist at Duke and asked them, is there anything that you can think of that would have caused this? The doctor said there has been a study showing a correlation between ankle hypermobility and prolapse in younger women. And so that was enough to tip me off and to start researching. And then I came across hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and the ways that predisposes women without other risk factors to having prolapse and diastasis and why they can sometimes have very significant prolapse when clinically the picture doesn't really make sense. It's because the connective tissue is just more pliable in general. And so coming back others that don't have this disorder. And I want you to really explain a little bit where there's signs that you had earlier on of this hypermobility that you just didn't realize was outside the spectrum of normal connective tissue. 
You're right. The connective tissue is just sort of overly stretchy. It doesn't have that same like recoil elasticity that you'll see in normal connective tissue. It can also be more friable, so more prone to fascial tearing, more prone to soft tissue injuries, labral tears, things like that. So I ended up going to a geneticist. I was diagnosed with hypermobile form of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Looking back, once I started learning more about it, when I was actually an infant was when I had my first signs of it. And that was back in 1982, which they didn't really know much about EDS at that point. But my mom had to take me to a neurologist and different specialists and a geneticist. And they tested for everything they knew how to because I was what they call a floppy baby or hypotonic. My mom said it felt like she was just holding wet noodles. I didn't hold my head up. Long after a baby should hold their head up, I didn't. And I just did a lot of therapy and eventually caught up on my milestones. And the neurologist just said, I have no idea. He told my mom, I've seen this one time before where a baby had this much hypotonic presentation and caught up on things. And I just don't know what to tell you. And then that was really it. I had a lot of low back pain, joint pain, fatigue that started around the time that I started menstruation, which is very common for women who are hypermobile. I don't think I realized that not everyone feels that way until later in life. You're only having your own experience until you talk with other people. Did you actually tear your labrum? That wasn't until later. But yeah, I have a labral tear in my left hip. That was actually from childbirth. My first son, I had an epidural and they kind of want to push your legs up when you're pushing. And I think the nurse maybe was a little bit overzealous in pushing and my hips move pretty far and I couldn't feel what they were doing. And afterward, I had a lot of pain and ended up being a labral tear. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm sure there's a relief in actually getting a proper diagnosis, just understanding your body more. What did you do with information and how did it come to pass that you had the passion that you wanted to share that with others? Yeah, I love to research and learn everything that I can about a topic that I'm interested in. So I did that with EDS and it was a really challenging time. It was very validating to have the diagnosis. It explained so much. I really felt like a hypochondriac for a long time. Like I have so many issues or it just takes so much work for me to just feel normal. What is wrong with me? And so it was very validating. And at the same time, as I read more about it, it was really depressing and gave me a really fearful outlook on the rest of my life. I had been an ice climber and a rock climber and an athlete, and I pushed through just a lot of injuries and pain, but I did a lot of stuff. And everything I read was like talking about how fragile people with EDS are and have to be so careful and you should just swim. And I started to question, what kind of mom am I going to be? And got very depressed. I went into some EDS support groups online and there was a lot of people just talking about their different diagnoses and their medications and their braces and their walkers. I got very frustrated because nobody was talking about what you can do to make it better or to overcome the challenges. There just wasn't really anyone speaking positively about it. That's when I went to work helping people with chronic pain in the online setting. And then it was probably a couple of years after that. We noticed that our clients with chronic pain coming in, you start to see it when you look for it and you're aware of it. And we realized that a lot of our clients were hypermobile and had no idea. And so we launched a complete program specific to people who are hypermobile. And that was really born out of a need for it. There just wasn't anything like that we were aware of. 
and also out of a frustration for just wanting to change the narrative a little bit about it just being this terrible thing that happens to people and there's nothing you can do about it because it's just not true. I want to share with you a little secret I have. This secret is this amazing skincare line that I've been using now for a year. Now, I am a product queen. It is the one thing I spend money on. I don't spend a lot of money on clothes, but I love products. And I love skincare products because I want my skin to really reflect and showcase how I feel inside. But this is honestly the best product I've ever tried. And I love the fact that it's vegan. It's all natural. You could literally eat it because it's totally organic. Herbal face food. It's the most potent anti-aging, multi-correction, antiviral skincare on the market. It's magic. I can't even describe it. I use a little bit of Serum One a few times a week and it tightens up my skin. And then it also kind of whitens it a little bit, makes it feel like all the sun damage disappears. But you can go for the Serum Two, which is like the correction, and that goes into the more sun-damaged areas. So you're just going to have to try it for yourself. So go to the show notes and hit the link. Lara 20 is the code for 20% off herbal face food. I love it. I want to share it with you all. So what have you found has worked for you to be able to stay in health and wellness and do the things you want to do and not just swim? I had gotten into weightlifting pretty early, actually, as a teenager, and it just felt really good. I didn't really know what I was doing, but... I knew that the resistance training made my pain better. You know, I got pretty hooked on going to the gym because I started to notice that if I didn't go for a couple of days, everything started to hurt more. And as long as I did some type of resistance, it didn't necessarily have to be weights. It could be banded exercises, but it needed to be some type of resistance. I just felt so much better. So that was the driving force of getting these people to not be afraid of lifting and doing resistance training but also having a large emphasis on the form and the technique and the training and them understanding their own anatomy and being able to feel like they are educated enough to advocate for themselves and to feel comfortable returning to activities that they used to do or taking a group exercise class safely and knowing how to self-advocate and say, no, I need to modify that. I can't do that. Or no, please don't push me into that pose. That doesn't feel good. Yeah. Can you explain to people like the load of weight that helps people? What is it doing specifically for people with hypermobility that is so impactful? Well, if you think about your joints, they're held together with your ligaments and your soft tissues, and then your muscles attach to the outsides of the joints and hold it together. So if you think about the fact that your soft tissues are a little more lax, a little more flexible, it's common sense to say, what else can we do to tighten up those joints or give them more support? Well, you can put a brace on or you can strengthen your muscles and that acts kind of as a brace on its own. Our muscles are intended to help with that support. So getting that resistance helps with that. Also, a lot of folks who are hypermobile don't have great proprioception. So they don't have a really good understanding of where they are in space. And sometimes just adding a little bit of load to it can really help get some more of that feedback about where we are. I totally agree. I find that just with myself not being hypermobile sometimes just a little extra weight on like a distal end, holding it in my hand and just doing something. I just feel so much more of my proximal muscles engaging quickly. And I think it's that neuromuscular education, especially when you don't have those proprioceptors responding in the same way that you need to light up the muscles that are 
rich in proprioceptors, which are the proximal core muscles, to help that. From there, how did you come up with your brand wealth? Did you have any business background? Because I think all of us that came from wellness and health and medicine forged this path. And it sounds so similar. You were just following your needs and the needs that you saw. It's very different to the market and brand and do the whole entrepreneurship. How is that path for you? My fiance now, Andrew, I met him because after I was diagnosed with EDS and I was looking into everything I could learn about movement, he had an online program and he had an Instagram account called Move You that he had started that company with a friend of his. And I bought his program. I love some of the things that I learned in there. And I also challenged them on some things. And I ended up going to work with them and introducing public health concepts into their programs and ended up being a part owner in that business. We had an account that grew to 1.1 million followers on Instagram. We had spoken internationally on these things. When I met Andrew in person, he's six foot five, very muscular, and he is way more hypermobile than I am. So I'm pretty sure I had him do a bait and score really quick. And I think you should ask your doctor to send you to a geneticist. And he did. And he was also diagnosed with EDS. Then about a year, two years later, we had a falling out with our previous business partner. And we were bought out of that business. And we launched Wealth during the height of the pandemic, about August of 2020. The name Wealth and the concept of it was based off of Something that I saw a lot when I was working as a nurse, the concept that your health is your wealth. I took care of a lot of end-of-life patients, and I never heard them expressing regret about anything material. No one ever said, I wish I worked harder so I had a bigger house, or I really wish I bought that Corvette. What you always heard people expressing regret about were relationships. I wish I had mended the relationship with my son sooner. I wish I had more time. I wish I had listened to the doctor. I wish I had quit smoking. I wish I had taken better care of my body. You just saw the same things that people express regret for. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If you're not taking care of your health, there's nothing to bail you out at the end. It doesn't matter how rich you are. Amen. It's always fascinating to me that wellness is so prominent. And obviously, this health and wellness and fitness, in our perspective, is massive, right? But the majority of the people aren't doing enough of it, aren't moving, aren't eating well. And then they'll be like, oh, I can't pay for this because that's too expensive. And really, you've got to prioritize. This is actually priceless. I would pay anything to have the health that is most optimal. And it is part of our society of what we value. That's why we end up with these lifestyle diseases, because health is not put up there at the very top, like you said, luxury items or anything that you can buy. Yeah, you don't get that quick return on it. I think we're so conditioned for like Amazon quick delivery and Netflix streaming and people want an immediate return on their investment. And when it comes to your health, it just takes a lot of hard, consistent work over a long period of time. It's never done, right? There's always room for improvement. Why don't we embrace that? There's not a finite point. It's just a path and we have to continue on it and reevaluate. And it's like aging, you know, aging doesn't have to be this total slide down until you're like in the hospital, barely able to move with all kinds of issues. We can really stay even stronger, but we have to put in the work effort. And that's amazing. So you've made this platform available and it specifically for hypermobile people or for anyone. Yeah. So we have three program options. One is just a strength and conditioning program. We have a lot of athletes that follow us that really wanted to know what our workouts look like that are 
in great shape. They don't have any pain. They don't have any injuries. So that's strength and conditioning. Then we have our Limitless program, and that is geared toward anyone with chronic pain. It is not specific to those with hypermobility. We've had people who are hypermobile do it, but there's nothing in there that is specifically tailored to hypermobility. And then we have our hypermobility program. We have a very wide range of hypermobile individuals, ranging from slightly hypermobile to the more severe end of the EDS spectrum. And I imagine like for people that are in chronic pain, there's a lot of crossover. For what I've seen as a PT, like that chronic pain, there's like some misfiring and miswiring, but it comes again back to how are these people moving, teaching form, because form is really a health function. It's going to help support your body in space better than it had been because there was something that was repetitively done. And your experience with chronic pain, is it mental or emotional, like the biopsychosocial aspects of chronic pain? It's a lot. And so we take a five-pillar approach in our programs. Movement is one of the pillars. It is an important one. I'm sure you have seen some of the research-heavy PT folks who will say there's no correlation between posture and the research. You can't silo out an element of something and do it on a small population of, by the way, healthy men. I think we're on the same track. Yeah. Movement is one of our pillars, and that includes the strengthening, and we teach people self-massages and some stretches. And then we have nutrition, restoration, which is your sleep, quality, quantity, all of that. We have your environment. So that's getting out in nature, touching the grass, breathing the fresh air, but also the people around you, your relationships, your communication, how you're managing stress, things like that. And mindset is the fifth one. So we cast a wide net approach with our people. We do a lot of education on the science of chronic pain, and it's not telling people it's all in your head, but it is explaining to them. And one of the analogies that we use that seems to resonate well with people is comparing their nervous system to like a home alarm system. When you have chronic pain, your alarm system has been turned up to such a high sensitivity level that the squirrel that runs across the road sets off your house alarm not actually an emergency, but the sirens are going off and you feel like there is. And that's how we sort of explain chronic pain. Some of the work and the approach that we take, I think, helps with desensitizing those areas of heightened sensation. We're also going to look at your scapula and your breathing and your feet. I think there are multiple reasons, in my opinion, that works. I do think that the posture and alignment and like everything works together forcing them to shift their focus away from that specific area of pain that they love to just perseverate on, I think is very therapeutic as well. That's amazing. Where the pain is is not where the problem is. It's a really good approach to like reframe it and just invite people to think about the things. So in terms of business, how hard was it for you to go from a nursing health background to being an entrepreneur? What is that like? Yeah, I think for me, it was kind of a more gradual transition because I went from nursing to being a stay-at-home mom for a little while and then trained in Pilates. And it just felt very natural. I think I was just following what I was passionate about at that time. I love what I do. I think it's so much more fulfilling to me in a different way. Working in acute care, there are times that you are literally saving someone's life. That's obviously very rewarding. But a lot of the work is not as rewarding as that. And I feel like the work I do now, we really get to know our clients. They're with us for quite a while. Some of them have been with us for years. They love to come back to our communities and check in. And being able to follow people after they're out of that more acute phase, 
still hear from them and see how they're doing is just really rewarding to see people get their lives back. I have had really no background in business, but a lot of the things that make a successful business are not very different from the things that make a healthy person. I think that growth mindset, being open-minded, and really the willingness to put in the consistent hard work without expecting an immediate response and understanding that success takes time. Yes, to all of that. Where can people learn more about what you all have to offer and find you and find your programs? Yeah, so our website is spreadwealth.com. That's spelled spreadwealth.com. We have all of our information on there. Our Instagram account is where we are the most responsive and where we post the most consistently. And that is at wealth, spelled at wealth. We also do work with a biomedical illustrator who's incredible, and she has been an illustrator for 30 plus years, and she comes and does anatomy painting on our bodies. So our videos, you can actually see the muscles and the soft tissues that we're teaching about, and you visual learners tend to really appreciate that. That's so cool. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. It's such a delight to speak to somebody else who has gone on this path of making this passion a business. and helping so many people in need. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. And for everyone who's listening, make sure you check out Katie. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Redefining Movement. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Feel free to leave us a rating and review or share with someone you know. Check us out at www.litmethod.com.